This is not a one-time job putting in place a set of controls. Now a platform will have to implement every single means to be notified. And once it's been notified, it is responsible. It's not just the yes-no, is this acceptable, is it not acceptable? You can be monitoring the sort of proximity to unacceptability. You didn't put in place the right systems to be made aware or the right checks to be made aware, then you're in trouble. Well, hello everybody. I'm Tim Roberts. I'm a managing director at Alex Partners and I help clients wrestle with difficult problems at the intersection of technology and risk and compliance. And this is the first of a series of conversations focused on the topic of demystifying risk, looking at some of the burning issues in this arena of where technology meets risk and compliance. And the first of these hot topics we want to talk about today is content moderation. This is a very, very relevant topic across social media and technology. And in that sector, we're seeing huge changes today. We're seeing volatility of revenue, changes of ownership, big business changes, but we're also seeing new regulations coming in, like the Digital Services Act, that are affecting how companies manage their content that they publish and uh, allow to be posted on their platforms. And I'm delighted to be joined today to talk about this by Louis-Victor de Francou, co-founder of the content moderation platform Tremeau, to talk about these risks and how businesses are grappling with them. I'll hand over to you now, Louis-Victor, to introduce yourself, if I may. Thank you very much, Tim, for having me with you today. So as you said, my name is Louis-Victor, one of the co-founders of Tremeau. I started off my career working in risk management uh, and then worked a couple of years for the French government with the French uh, ambassador for digital affairs, working on issues around fighting against terrorist content online, especially through the crisis call to action and then uh, one year ago founded Tremo. In keeping with the title of this series of Demystifying Risk, let's start by demystifying a bit. Could, could you have a go at defining what, what do we really mean by content moderation? What, what does that cover? And then let's talk a bit about how is it done today? So content moderation is the process in which a company, a platform, um, reviews or addresses the content that has been posted by its user on its services, removing content that it deems inappropriate for its services. And different platforms will have different guidelines, different um, um, policies in place to say what content is allowed. An adult's website will not have the same policies around nudity as a child website. And it's this entire process in which companies remove, ban, shadow ban, um, dereference de uh, content from their platform. Maybe to start with, let's talk about who's responsible for this, who's accountable for content moderation. Because when you read in the press about harmful content that was available online, some, you know, you read a story about a child seeing harmful content, there's a sort of assumption that it's the tech giants that are accountable for that. But how should we think about this? Is it is it like they are the publisher of this material or, or should they be seen simply as the provider of a platform and it's the person posting the content that's accountable? And how does that affect how we think about the process of content moderation? It really depends who you ask. I mean, if you're asking the platform, they're just the platform. They're providing the technology for their users to post. If you ask parents of, for example, I'd say an example of children victim of cyberbullying, they'd say it's the platform because in reality, in, in, you could ex explain that the algorithms that are being used uh, by these platforms to promote 
a certain content over another has an impact on what people see and what uh, the children have access to. And then you have in between and kind of, I'd say what dictates the rules, it's the law. And again, it's very timely of time discussion because the law is completely changing in this aspect, especially in Europe. So until today, or still today, you have Section 230 in the US or the e-commerce directive in Europe, which basically says, you know, a platform cannot be held liable of the content it's hosting unless it's been made aware of its illegality. But then that's kind of more or less it. Now, the Digital Service Act is completely changing this. It, it, it is keeping this liability regime. However, it's saying that now a platform will have to implement every single means to be notified. And once it's been notified, it is responsible of the content. That's interesting. So just let me see if I've understood that correctly. It's up till now, you might have got away with saying, nobody notified us that this was illegal content. We couldn't be expected to take it down. The, the Digital Services Act is now placing more of an onus on the, comp the company that is uh, that operating the platform to f actively find out what is illegal and what is banned content. Is that right? I, I wouldn't go to the point of saying actively because there's no obligation of proactive moderation, so you do, uh, especially for the smaller actors, but there's an obligation of means, a bit like, again, like we saw in the financial world, which means that if there's a piece of illegal content on your platform and the regulators comes and check and the regulators see that, in fact, you didn't put in place a notice and action mechanism, you didn't put in place the right systems to be made aware or the right checks to be made aware, then you're in trouble. And so you can't just say, I didn't know about it, and that's the end of the story. I didn't know about it, but I sincerely tried to find out about it. That's what you'll need to be able to say. That's going to require quite a lot of work by the bigger platforms to have those sort of systems and processes in place, such that if there is that kind of complaint or request for removal of some content, they can show they've had appropriate abilities to be notified, ways of tracking such requests, of the ability to action such requests, right? Exactly, and you're completely right, Tim. When a regulator is going to come in, the regulator is not going to come in and assess or analyze exactly how, the, for example, the AI detection tools work, because some of these tools are very complex and very um, you know, appropriate for one to solve one piece of problem, and each company has a different piece of problem. The regulator is first going to come and see and say, how many reports have you received? How many have you closed? How long has it taken you to close them? How many times has an action you've taken on a content led to an appeal, an appeal from one of your users? Have they been out of court dispute mechanism? How long do you take to respond to a trusted flagger? All these elements, which is, as you've mentioned, around the process is going to be what is key for the regulators. So they're going to need to be able to measure their performance against those expectations and report on them. Just like, I mean, we've both worked in financial services, exactly the same way banks have had to report on how they're dealing with suspicious trades, suspicious payments, etc. Exactly. And I think a lot of these companies are today going to see it as a, as, as a pain point and as a, as a blocker. And especially we speak of the very large platforms. But let's think about the platform which is underneath that level that have you know, a couple of, hundred, couple of millions of users that are facing these issues, but they don't have the, the, the financials of the, of the Facebooks of the world to be able to deal with the problem. And I think there's really two ways of looking at it. There's, of course, the fact that it's a burden, but there's also the opportunity. 
because a company that does it in the right way will be able to anticipate the risk. Hey, I'm seeing a rise in nudity on my platform. Maybe I need to change the tools or change the way I'm, my, my guidelines or my processes work in this instance. Oh, I'm seeing an increase in cyberbullying from this product. Maybe I need to tweak a tiny bit the way the algorithms work so I'll protect better my users. So it can inform you the way you use your, the, your, uh, your products are, are given to your, to your users. It can inform the way you need to preempt malicious actors using your platform, etc. So there's really an, uh, a huge governance question that's going to be put, put forward. Now, this all sounds hard enough with today's um, online services and marketplaces and platforms, social media. But of course, this is an industry that's rapidly changing. It doesn't stay still for a moment. We see rapid product development. We see increasing talk about the metaverse, the different kinds of user experiences which people are going to have, different ways of encountering content, maybe say it that way. That how how can a company keep pace with that? This this doesn't require, you know, this is not a one-time job putting in place a set of controls. This is a such a rapidly changing world. How how do you think about adapting controls and having the agility that needed for you know different forms of user engagement, different kinds of user experience? I I think it's 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 a question that. The market is grappling with, regulators are grappling with. Why? Why regulators? Well, because they don't want a world where they've killed all competition. And again, the only companies that can really comply with these obligations only on their own are going to be the very large ones. So there are actors, and in a way, Tremo is one of these actors, that are helping uh, companies and small, small or medium-sized players um, say, you know what, focus on your business and we'll help you focus on the compliance because you can't focus on everything, especially when you're not a multinational uh, or, or, or huge company. What is the role of technology in this space? Can, can algorithms vet content and make decisions about what should and should not be appearing on platforms? So to a certain extent, they can, but it has a limit. The good news is the technology is getting better to detect the worst stuff from the internet. So child sexual abuse material, horrible and we should try and protect the moderators the human moderators that are behind the screens from seeing this material and there's some great technology being developed uh, for this and for terrorist content etc uh, as well but we can't give everything to these ai detection tools because they are biases in the way they're created because the same type of content depends on the context it which is posted uh, there's these examples of uh, um, content being posted uh, on Facebook uh, during the Syrian civil war, which were actually proof of human rights violation that were taken down by Facebook's algorithm. So these are just examples of where these AI tools can be sometimes go overreach. And then they can sometimes, because of the first false positives, create actually more burden for the platforms themselves that have to hire humans to review all the false positives. As these tools get better, they are going to uh, decrease the number of false positives. They are going to uh, decrease these. And especially as, again, there's going to be a lot of elements around the process. Imagine one piece of content that is starting to be reported by a number of your users, you know, maybe flagged by one of your AIs, maybe reported by a trusted flagger. You know, if the process is not done in the right way, you're going to have six, seven, eight, ten cases around the same piece of content because it's been reported through different channels. And again, that this is where 
um, you know, building the process in the right way will enable you to get much more insights as to when a piece of content is acceptable or it's not. Being able to aggregate data. And also, there's another thing which we've never, which in this notion, in this context of, of uh, content moderation, isn't, we speak a lot about the content and we speak less about the user behavior. If you have a centralized process that's done in a way to be able, for example, to capture behavior of your users, how many times has this user posted content which is just borderline? not above the threshold, but just borderline. And then you can start implementing a strike system or warning system to tell the person, hey, this is the third time in two weeks. There's a warning. Next time you'll be banned for one week. And so you also start educating your users to be able to better use your platform and to stop using or stop behaving in a way that is not you know, in line with the obligations of the platform or with the guidelines of the platform. That's very interesting. I hadn't thought of that phenomenon that you can... It's not just the yes, no, is this acceptable? Is it not acceptable? You can be monitoring the sort of proximity to unacceptability because if you're not picking up every single item of content, if somebody is repeatedly posting borderline content, there may be items you haven't detected or which are being transmitted through other media that are across the line. Indeed, what what you could ultimately potentially do in the same way, for example, on peer-to-peer marketplaces, you can score uh, people for are they a reliable counterparty, you could actually risk rate individuals who post content for surveillance, you know, for appropriate surveillance purposes, um, if somebody is considered to be a risky individual. All of this is always, and you said this at the beginning, Tim, it it boils down to the governance around it. How, how How are the processes, the policies put in place? And how, and then one element which we spoke to at the very bit, we spoke about at the very beginning and we spoke a bit, a bit less now is how do regulators then go verify what's happening? Because it's all very good if you have, you know, my boss in the government, he used to call, uh, you know, the transparency reports that are being published by, by companies, he used to call them self-assessment tests. Because at the end of the day, nobody's checking and the guy, nobody's giving the guidelines. And, and so as these, you know, example for the Digital Service Act, you're starting to have frameworks of what it means to be transparent. Then you're going to have also have much more meaningful information for regulators to go in and check what is happening within these companies. Let me ask another question linked to these regulatory points we've been talking about. We're, of course, not just talking about the EU. We were talking about businesses that operate globally and have to address multiple jurisdictions some where those requirements are explicit, like set out in the Digital Services Act, others where there isn't an equivalent regulation, but a regular like the Federal Trade Commission in the US or um, in similar equivalent consumer protection bodies in other parts of the world might intervene. How, I mean, is it possible to run a compliance regime that works in multiple jurisdictions efficiently? Or do companies, are companies going to need to have separate compliance procedures for every jurisdiction they operate in? I believe that there is going to be, as the years go by, a standardization of these types of regulations, because you can see a move towards uh, more and more and more and more countries regulating. You can see Singapore that just came out with, that is just proposed a bill that looks quite similar to uh, the Digital Services Act. Uh, there's discussions in India, in Korea, um, in the UK, of course, in Canada and Australia. Um, there's California. Um, Texas took a law which was the exact opposite of all these. So there is going to be um, a, a, a fine balance between them. And again, this is why I think focusing on process is so important. 
because the process you have about enabling your users, for example, to report content, to then have appeal mechanisms in place, to have transparency uh, reporting in place, once you've done that process and once you've automatized the process, that doesn't mean you've automated each step of the process, but the process as a whole has been built out and can go to the next step and to the next step, then it becomes much easier to run a global compliance department because you've got the right tools and because the information is flowing correctly through the different steps of the, of the system. I mean, this, this issue of multi-jurisdictions, it occurs to me again, there's a parallel with banking where there's a lot of banks dealing with many jurisdictions. And one of the techniques I've seen it, to make that manageable is banks that focus on four or five, their four or five main jurisdictions and design a control framework that meets those expectations. Then look to see if there's anything they've missed in the remaining, whatever it is, 10, 15, 20, sometimes many more jurisdictions where they need to operate. If you start trying to design something to meet all of them, it becomes incredibly complex and very hard to do reliably. And exactly as you say, sometimes laws will conflict with each other. You see the same in banking regulations or where anti-money laundering, privacy, banking, secrecy intersect in different jurisdictions. That creates challenges and companies will need to decide which jurisdiction they prioritize for compliance purposes. These are tough decisions to be made on the ground, commercial decisions as well as purely compliance ones. So it seems to me that... That, that world of having to understand multiple regimes designed for the main jurisdictions you're in and then operate tactically, that's going to, I think, be relevant to players in, in, in the media and technology industries in the future, the same way it has been in banking over the last 20 or 30 years. 100% agree. I think 100% agree. And the different steps and the different governance that's going to be decided by these players is going to be informed by the major regulations. But again, you, you mentioned banking. They are, as you mentioned, conflicting rules, but you also see a convergence. And, um, you know, I think this is what we're going to start going towards. It's going to take years. It's not going to be tomorrow morning. It's going to take 10, 15 years or 20 years like it did in the banking industry, but it is going to happen, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I think, therefore, in, the, in due course, there will be an 80-20 approach that's possible today we're dealing with, you know, the DSA is brand new. Uh, it's not in force yet. It's, it's, you know, companies are just figuring out what does it mean for them on a day-to-day -day basis. I think we're going to be, we're going to have a busy, busy few years, whether you're on the reg tech side or whether you're on the consulting side, helping firms navigate these new requirements, helping them find lean and tech-enabled ways of addressing them. But it, it, hopefully this is going to quickly reduce risk to vulnerable users. And I think obviously one thing we all have in common is we want to create a safe environment for the metaverse to develop and for all online services and marketplaces to operate. So it's going to be, I think, an increasing area of focus for compliance professionals. Well, I think that's a good point uh, on those topics to say thank you, Louis Victor, very much for your time today, uh, for joining me to analyze and try and unpick some of the issues around content moderation. It's clearly uh, a topic where we're going to see huge change and evolution over the next year or so. So maybe we will need to meet again in a year or so and see what we, you know, whether it's played out as we thought it might. And I'd like to thank our audience for listening uh, to this conversation as well. And I hope you'll be able to join us for future conversations on other topics around demystifying risk.